Good morning from the newsroom of the Financial Times. Today is Friday, February 14th, and this is your FT News Briefing. Both the Trump-appointed U.S. Attorney General and the Republican-dominated U.S. Senate push back on the president's influence. Huawei faces new charges from U.S. prosecutors, and Amazon wins in its request for a federal judge to temporarily block a multi-billion dollar contract. Plus, U.K. Chancellor Sajid Javid quits after a brutal standoff with Boris Johnson. The FT's Robert Trimsley explains what this means for the prime minister. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. Earlier this week, four U.S. prosecutors quit a case about Donald Trump's longtime friend, Roger Stone. The prosecutors had recommended that Mr. Stone face up to nine years in prison after being convicted of lying to Congress. Mr. Trump criticized the prosecutor's suggested sentencing, and then the Department of Justice recommended that Mr. Stone get a lighter sentence. Now, Attorney General William Barr is speaking out about the president getting in his way. The FT's U.S. managing editor, Peter Spiegel, has more. Well, what we saw, I think, is a big pendulum swing over the last 24 hours, right? We had what it seemed to be a purge by the president of the United States of people around him who were involved in or at least connected to the impeachment testimony on Capitol Hill. Then he sort of reaches his hand into the Justice Department by saying uh, he was outraged by the sentencing memorandum uh, against Roger Stone, a former close associate of the president's saying it was outrageous, and then you saw the Justice Department actually tone it down and rebellion within the ranks of the federal prosecutors. Suddenly, we have a switch back 24 hours later, where you have William Barr, the Attorney General, going on national television. Public statements and tweets made about the department make it impossible for me to do my job and to assure the courts and the prosecutors in the, in the department that we're doing our work with integrity. And that is a pretty amazing thing for a sitting attorney general to say to the president of the United States. And now, Peter, we should note that some Trump loyalists are taking Mr. Barr's side here. Republican Senator Lindsey Graham, who almost always backs the president, released a statement saying that Barr has his complete confidence. And now, Barr wasn't the only one that tried to rein in Donald Trump yesterday. The U.S. Senate voted to limit the president's military authority on Iran, and actually eight Republicans sided with Democrats to prevent him from sending troops into action without congressional approval. Yeah, in a remarkable bipartisan way, push back and say to the president of the United States, hey, you don't have the power to declare war. That's our power. And this came after, if you remember last month, President of the United States unilaterally bombing and killing Qasem Soleimani, the Iranian general, and doing that pretty much unilaterally and without, frankly, a particularly good explanation about why he did it. Now, look, the thing on in the Senate, it could be vetoed by the president. He has threatened a veto. They don't have the two-thirds majority in the Senate needed to overturn that. But it is a symbol that the institutions of the American government are beginning to push back against some of the presidential whims that we've seen from President Trump over the last week or two. Now, look at the ongoing battle between China's Huawei and the United States. Yesterday, U.S. prosecutors accused the telecoms equipment group of stealing technology from several American companies. It's the latest in a long line of attacks by the U.S. as the Trump administration tries to persuade countries around the world to exclude Huawei from their 5G mobile network rollout on security grounds. The FT's Washington correspondent, Kieran Stacey, explains. 
So the US first made its charges against Huawei last January when officials at the DOJ accused the Chinese company of doing two specific things. One was stealing technology from T-Mobile, the US telecoms company, and the other one was breaking sanctions against Iran. Now, on Thursday, it then added a host of other charges to that charge sheet. Those included stealing technology from a group of other companies. It also alleged that the company broke sanctions against North Korea as well as Iran. It added a little bit more detail about how exactly it broke those sanctions against Iran. And it accused some of the company's top executives of lying to the FBI in interviews about exactly these accusations. Now, Kieran, the U.S. has been trying other tactics to counter Huawei. One is for a U.S. company to challenge the Chinese by taking a controlling stake in telecoms equipment makers such as Nokia and Ericsson, with the hope that these companies can then compete with Huawei. But one company that looked like a contender said they're not interested. That's right. There are international rivals to Huawei, Ericsson and Nokia being the two biggest ones, but nobody is able to compete with the Chinese company in terms of the range of products they offer or the price they're able to offer. The latest coming from Bill Barr, unusually the Attorney General, who said in a speech last week that he thought that actually the US should just simply take over Nokia and Ericsson themselves. If the US is going to take over either of those two companies, they're certainly not going to use Cisco to do so. The chief executive of Cisco, Chuck Robbins, told the FT on Thursday that he was simply not interested. This would be too big a chunk for his company to swallow. In fact, I happen to know that US officials have previously asked Cisco whether they'd be interested in buying parts of Nokia or Ericsson's business to achieve exactly this. But Cisco told them no at the time. So this is simply a continuation of Cisco's existing policy, but it's all happening now right out there in the public. And now another story about tech and government, this time with Amazon, Microsoft, and a massive and sensitive U.S. Department of Defense contract. Yesterday, a federal judge granted Amazon's request to block the DOD's $10 billion cloud computing contract with Microsoft. Microsoft and Amazon were competing for the project, known as JEDI. Microsoft won out and had planned to handle the Department of Defense's data and communications. But Amazon sued the department in November, saying it had been denied because of the president's beef with Amazon founder and Washington Post owner Jeff Bezos. Mr. Trump often takes issue with how the Post covers him. And in the lawsuit, Amazon called the Trump administration's decision to choose Microsoft unmistakable bias. And here's a story you should know more about. UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson went into Thursday morning planning to reshuffle his cabinet. According to sources, it was supposed to be a lackluster process. It seemed like Mr. Johnson did not expect the UK's chancellor to resign, but that's exactly what happened. The FT's Robert Trimsley explains what it means for the UK Prime Minister. There has been an ongoing feud between Sajid Javid, the Chancellor of the Exchequer, or the Treasury Secretary, as he'd been known in America, and Boris Johnson's chief political advisor, a man called Dominic Cummings, who's very powerful within Downing Street. And the two have been sniping at each other a bit for different reasons. When Sajid Javid arrived at Downing Street to see Boris Johnson on Thursday morning, he was told, essentially, that he had to sack all of his own political advisers and submit to having his advisers and aides appointed jointly with Downing Street, essentially under the aegis of Dominic Cummings. And he said, this will humiliate me, this will leave me in an impossible position. They argued about it for 
close to an hour. And in the end, Sajid Javid said, well, look, if you insist on this, then I'm going to have to resign. They did insist on it and he resigned. And and his exit is so significant because he had promised to balance the UK's budget by 2022, 2023 and planned on delivering that budget in March. What does his exit mean for the future of the UK's finances? Well, the honest answer to your question is we don't yet know. He did fight and win one important battle before the general election when he said that they couldn't make a lot of spending promises uh, for what they would do if they won the general election because he insists on a certain degree of fiscal discipline. And the big question is whether his successor, a man who was his deputy, a man called Rishi Sunak, will be prepared to allow a bit looser fiscal rules, which is what certainly Dominic Cummings would like to see. It's hard to know how that's going to play out because Rishi Sunak was, in fact, regarded as even more of a hawk than Sajid Javid. On the other hand, he will have wanted this job. And it's a huge promotion for him. And the suspicion is clearly that if the price of getting this job is being compliant with what Downing Street asked for, then it may have consequences in that way. What does it say about Mr. Johnson's government that his chancellor has resigned? It's a very interesting question, because historically, for a prime minister to lose a chancellor's exchequer by accident, which is what happened on Thursday, he didn't intend for Sajid Javid to resign, is a big blow to the government. And it's very problematic for the prime minister. I suspect, given the stage at which it's happened, which is so soon after an election, and that Sajid Javid isn't a major political figure in his own right, means that Boris Johnson can weather this storm. But the big long-term consequence is that the Chancellor is one of those people who is meant to stand up to the Prime Minister when he's doing something that's not sensible. And the message has gone out to his successor and to any other ministers in government. You don't want to stand up to this Prime Minister because you might get sacked. It also, I think, presages a fight between Downing Street and the Treasury in the future, about the future direction of government policy. So although I think in the short term, Boris Johnson will get through this quite easily, there are long-term consequences, which we don't know, and it will be interesting to see how they play out. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back next week for the latest business news. The FT News Briefing is produced by Amy Keene and me, Mark Filipino. Our editor is Amelia Mahasik. We also had help from Gavin Coleman and Michael Bruning. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.